0: Thank mm-hmm. you. How are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this
1: isn't my quote, I I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do.
0: Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah Shan. Joining me today is Sam Spiller of Stumptown Footy. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me back on.
0: Yeah, we are previewing uh, Sounders Timbers, which is always, it always feels like a big event, uh, no matter how many times we've, we've done this, uh, the the last part of this, the, last, the recent history of this thing, going back to 2018, though, has been, frankly, a bizarre period in this rivalry. Uh, both teams have been very good during that time, so I suppose maybe it shouldn't be that much of a surprise, but... It's almost like a home field disadvantage uh, since 2014. The home team is one nine and one, <laughs> which is crazy. That's like ridiculous. a crazy thing. <laughs> it's and ridiculous. That, and that one win, of course was Portland.
1: I don't remember when it was, but
0: the Sounders haven't beaten Portland at home since 2017.
1: Yeah. Giovanni Sabarese since he, since he took over from the Timbers, he hasn't lost in the regular season Yeah, um, up in Seattle. It's, I can't, I mean, I haven't dove into the numbers, but I can't think of off my head of any other home away split between two teams, especially oh. two teams that have such history and MLS yeah. at the moment. Um, and like you said too, it's, it's extra bizarre when, you know, in continuing the trend of like bizarre stats, the one where it's been what um, either Portland or Seattle in in MLS cup every year since 2015. Yeah. Portland or Seattle in the Western conference final every year since 2012, I believe. Yeah. Um, which is pretty mind-boggling to think about that in a league that's built to try to, you know, empower parity and, and and promote teams to things that you've had this run of consistency in the Western Conference, coupled with you know a season-by-season results between two teams that uh, is is very strange and very weird to look at. Like you said, that home field disadvantage.
0: Yeah, it's and the thing that also seems strange. And you sort of alluded, we, we were talking about this and I hadn't really thought about it, but you're right. Their seasons almost always seem to be sort of like at like never on the same trajectory. They're always seemingly on opposite trajectories. And this game always feels very pivotal. Like mm-hmm. I know last year uh, when the Sounders beat Portland 6-2, it felt like, oh, Portland is in the tailspin. Their season is over. Uh, of course, we know what ended up happening is that ended up being sort of the apex of the Sounders season and maybe the nadir of the Portland season, because right after that loss, uh, they turned it around. They won here and they ended up going to MLS Cup, uh, hosting MLS Cup. Uh, how, how did that turn out again? I don't remember. No, oh, I can't
1: remember. I think I blocked uh, out for like <laughs> 20 minutes and then woke up sad. I don't know why.
0: Right, right right yeah who knows but uh it was it, i mean it was such a, a funny thing because it felt like at that time that the sounders were just like on a rocket ship and and it of course did not it did not go that way i they didn't i don't know if it was it coincided exactly with their uh it was not close. winning it was yeah. but it was pretty close and, and
1: um from the portland side of things that that point was very much the low point like in their season like both that game and also it kind of like felt like kind of like hitting rock bottom. And from there, it was basically like a straight up trajectory. The one in a great, like right. defeated run after that, um, it, like basically turned their season around with that win, like you said, in Seattle. Um, and I just, it's, it's kind of a cool narrative thing. Like it feels like this rivalry always, always means something like it does obviously between the two fan bases and between the two teams, like they understand the history. Um, and so that always means something, but it seems like on the field too, it seems it, it pairs with, the results actually mean something which you can't say about every you know rivalry or, or geographical or otherwise within teams in mls
0: yeah so one uh, sort of related to that i'm i am curious you know the sounders have won the last three cascadia cups uh despite this i mean it maybe maybe in part because of this uh weird home away split and more games have been in portland so maybe that maybe that explains it uh but Uh, do you get the sense that Timbers fans care that they haven't had the Cascadia cup for this long, especially since the results otherwise have been, you know, like I know at one point Sounders fans uh, it's maybe always convenient to say this when you're not winning the Cascadia cup. It's like, we got bigger things uh, to worry about. And teams always do have bigger things to worry about, but um, do you get the sense that Timbers fans are, are worried about the Cascadia cup itself? Or is it more, like this rivalry and then the white caps sort of just fill it out?
1: <laughs> I, I think they do. I think they do in the sense of they want to kind of still be kind of that top dog within like the Cascadia region, like within kind of like mm-hmm. no one is that because I think, you know, since 2015 we've entered this phase where Portland and Seattle aren't just competitive teams anymore. They're trophy winning teams. Now. Right. And so now it kind of feels like, okay, we've moved on to like fighting for the bigger silverware. Now it's like, you know, you look at, matching MLS cups between, you know, I think Portland, I think if they offered were, Hey, would you rather win the Cascadia cup or win the match Seattle with MLS cups? They take MLS cup, you know, right, all the for time. Sure, of course. So it, that's kind of how it's evened out. But I think the fact that Portland hasn't speaks to uh, again, kind of the relative imbalance between the results between Portland, and Seattle. But I think also, like you said, Vancouver, they're almost in a weird way, the equalizer, Portland hasn't played well against Vancouver at home either. Mm. Um, so I, I think it, it's definitely something that amongst Timbers fans is probably annoying, I think, at this point, especially because, you know, with something as eternal as rivalries, you're always looking for more talking points to say, well, I'm better than you because blank. Um, and I think having Cascadia up on that list would be helpful. Um, and, and in a weird way, it's also... You know they're annoyed by it and I think it's also taking a backseat to some of this other silverware since right. they've kind of entered kind of like this like trophy winning kind of phase between the rivalry
0: it is it's funny I imagine at some point in the history of this rivalry we'll look back on this as a as sort of a golden era when both these teams were dominating and who knows how long this will last you know you would think that at some point you know uh the same powers that have kept Uh, this region from being ascendant in other sports uh, will maybe take over just that like the market powers that of this region are not quite what they are. But right now we are in this period where soccer is really uh, American soccer. I think you could, if you're, if you're going to call like a, a focus, a, a, like a heart of American soccer right now, it's hard not to feel like it's in the Cascadian region. And, and I'm sort of related to that. Do you what was the the reaction in Portland to Seattle getting the World Cup? Obviously, Portland wasn't really in the running. It wasn't. Uh, the, you, there's not a, like I'm not, and I'm not trying to to slag on Portland. There's not a there's not really a stadium there that oh, yeah, would, no. that would be eligible to host. But are are Portland fans like excited about the World Cup coming to the region, not just to Seattle but to Vancouver? I mean, I'm I'm imagining the Pacific Northwest coming out of 2026
1: like the star of the world cup. Like, I don't think that's far-fetched at all. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's very much kind of like, in a way the highlight of kind of like the entire slate of kind of where the games are being, at least in the States. Yeah. It's, in, I mean, I think in
0: region. the, I mean, I, I mean, I'm hard pressed to not be excited about this showcasing the region. And I do well, actually, I really, I, I mean, I don't know how Portland will play into it, but I would love that if Portland could host, like formalized uh, watch parties and things like that, because I, I do really hope that this is sort of like a bio region
1: uh, celebration. I think it will. Like, I think obviously, yeah. Like most people in Portland will care about the world cup. Like they'll have watch parties for all of that. Like they have historically. Um, and I, I'm of the opinion that yes, having world cup games, just three hours up I five. And then, you know, two and a half hours or so past that is like objectively a very very good thing for for if you're a fan of soccer if you're a fan of you know just just watching the game of growing the game of international soccer of you know the biggest sports party in the entire world coming here like you can't have much to complain about of course i'm sure there are portland fans that are being like oh it's going to be in a you know, in Seattle and kind of grumble, grumble. But like you said, <laughs> unless unless Portland tried to petition for having games down in Autzen Stadium and putting, <laughs> putting uh, grass on top of where the, uh, the Ducks play football, um, you know, it was never realistically a possibility for that.
0: Yeah. Um, is there ever, has it ever been considered for the Timbers to try to play games at Autzen?
1: It, getting down to Eugene from Portland is kind of a pain in the butt um there's really only one or two roads and like traffic is notoriously bad um so and plus it's i think the timbers like kind of being kind of like ingrained into the city and kind of having that part of them um so you know they don't they don't go far south often and it is Um, like a solid hour right yeah or so i think hour hour and a half and like i said traffic also too can exacerbate that um and so i think having it accessible by public transit by metro with providence park being there i think it's And there's really no incentive for them to go anywhere else. Like they're still having like almost all of the stadium filled. Um, So, you know, the goal I think would be at some point trying to, I know there's been discussions about putting grass in Providence Park for, it seems like since the Timbers came into MLS over a decade ago, Um, getting that to the point where it can start to attract national team games again. Um, it'll never be like a world cup venue necessarily, but getting like, you know, especially I think there should be a push for the U S women's national team. Like the U S women's national team is a huge fan base within Portland has a strong contingent on the thorns. And, you know, that could be a huge draw. Like the U S women's national team is kind of in this space where they're, you know, they're bouncing around a lot of different places. As far as like games, I think, if Providence park, if Portland becomes a place that could consistently host the team, it could become like, you know, almost what, you know, Columbus was or Mm -hmm. is to the U S men's national team, kind of like a, like a proverbial spiritual home for, for them to play. Um, just with that environment there with the fan base, I think it could turn into something special. Um, and of course the fact that there seems to be an endless number of reasons why us soccer doesn't want to come to Portland again um, right. makes it a bit of a challenge.
0: Well, so uh, I wasn't planning on necessarily getting into this and we will, I promise we'll talk about soccer at some point, uh, the actual <laughs> games, but what is the, what's the mood around the Timbers and, and thorns these days? Obviously this off season or the last six months has really been sort of yeah. uh, has has been a lot.
1: It's been, I mean, it's been a rough one for the fan base. I mean, they've kind of had to, it really all kicked off last fall with the revelations about Paul Riley, and, and feel free to stop me if I'm going into areas, but you don't want to go into specific. No, go. Feel free. But it, that, it really kicked off with, with that, and that kind of sparked a lot of calls from the fan base for accountability from folks who were around during that time, specifically targeted towards the owner, Merritt Paulson, and the president, then-president of Soccer for the Thorns, um, Gavin Wilkinson. Um, And that has continued all the way through into the winter. And then over the winter, you had the revelations about anti-Polo, the allegations of domestic violence. And that kind of, you know, seemed to, it just kind of felt like another thing that like, oh, great. Now there's a pattern of Mm -hmm. the front office or the the powers that be of the Timbers and Thorns, um, you know, taking actions to either not, you know, not taking accountability. That was how m- many of the fan base saw it. And it bled over, especially into the start of the timber season. Um, the beginning of the season definitely felt a little um, muted because of that. There was less enthusiasm around the team. There was kind of less enthusiasm with the, uh, with, with attendance like in the, in the stadium atmosphere. I mentioned that, you know, stadiums usually pretty full, used to be consistent sellouts that trend. And that may have been also due to, pandemic related things and less enthusiasm for going to games. But um, I I think there's a fair argument to be made that the energy, the attitude of the fan base towards people that are still associated with the Timbers and Thorns organization um, has impacted their engagement with the team. And of course it's not helped with the fact that the Timbers got off to a slow start this year, the Thorns have a new coach and, you know, are dealing with kind of a, a somewhat kind of, transition into like a new system into some new faces on the on the team trying to go into that I think both of those things kind of combined has you know made it to be kind of a a strange start uh, for for soccer in this this season in in the in the Rose City Um, and it you know you could make an argument that it has impacted some of the play on the field Um, the Thorns had to put out a statement essentially saying you know we want you in the stadium we understand you have feelings but we want your support. Like it right. means nothing for us. Um, Giovanni Savarezio was on a podcast um, with the Oregonian a few weeks ago and, and said that, you know, as players, we, you can't not notice what's going on. Um, I'm also thinking of drawing back to Portland, Seattle, the game uh, in 2019, I believe with the, the protest iron front. The iron front line. Yeah, exactly. And, like that was something that I think the players recognized that it felt different, right? Like, Commons Park isn't silent usually. Great. So playing in that type of environment, I think it does impact things. So that's kind of what it was for the past six months. Um, eventually, as the season came along, what progressed, the results or lack of results on the field as it relates to the Timbers kind of took hold as like the primary kind of narrative. Um, there are still many, like a large population of the supporters groups. Who are still pushing for accountability? There are many who believe that Merrick Paulson needs to sell the team. Gavin Wilkinson needs to resign. Gavin Wilkinson is no longer involved with the Thorns, but he's still working in the same building, just right down, you know, right down the hallway from from the new Thorns staff. Um, so it's it's something that is always going to be there, and I think some fans until something changes are still going to have it as like their main issue and will impact their ability to kind of really be involved with the team and speaking of the
0: thorns how, how is this season going this obviously is a a double header of sorts it's on different days but it is a a, a seattle portland weekend with mm-hmm. the thorns coming to town on sunday uh what's going on with them these days
1: yeah, it's a bummer that Sunday that is happening in the SmackDown of this international break with so many right. international tournaments going on because, yeah, both teams have really big, strong international contingents. So it'll kind of take some of the star out of it. Still will be great games. Like the Reign of Thorns have had some fantastic games over the years. Yes. Um, I think the Thorns season, uh, the Challenge Cup was a little bit disappointing just because they didn't qualify for the knockout round stages and weren't able to kind of defend their title there. Um, and that kind of bled into a, it was middling by the Thorns standard to the start of the season where they, you know, they, they kind of struggled out of the gates a little bit, had a few um, rough games at home. Since then, they've been on a tear. Um, I don't think they've lost in like two or three months. Um, and they've really started to figure out how to integrate some of these new players um, like Hina Sagita, like Janine Becky into the team. Sophia Smith has been the player for the thorns this season. She is, I think, second or third in the golden boot standings for NWSL right behind Alex Morgan, I think. Um, and so she, they've really started to figure some stuff out and they're, they're playing some fun soccer, um, recently. So they, they just gutted out a stoppage time draw in angel city last week. So, you know, they're proven that, Hey, even with their international is gone and playing some replacement players or young players, they're still able to like get results and fight. Um and uh, you know, I think they're kind of kind of back to their status as being kind of one of those top teams in NWSL kind of pushing for the top of the table, pushing for shields, playoff positioning. Um, I think the thorns that were around now that were um that are still around now that we're around in 2021 will have some feel like they have some unfinished business after losing in the first round of the NWSL playoffs last year. I know we are quite a distance of a ways away from that, but it's these sorts of games. It's these sorts of, you know, form that I think kind of speaks to the fact that they're still a hungry team. They're still talented, even with new head coach, Rian Wilkinson um, at the helm, you know, it, it's proven that, you know, they're kind of not really missing a beat um, as far as kind of, you know, changing from one head coaching style to the next.
0: Yeah. They're in third uh, Rainer and fourth uh, neck and neck as, as usual. Uh, the, the rain do seem to have, a little bit of they, they got a little bit of a break with this international window because they just signed Tobin Heath, which I'm sure, uh, Thorns fans are absolutely thrilled with. Oh yeah, they—they uh, they brought in Kim Little, who uh, isn't on international duty. I think Jess Fishlock, for whatever reason, is not on international duty either. So some of their players are there, but yeah, like the big Canadians and Americans are, are not going to be in this game, mm-hmm. uh, which definitely takes some star power out of both sides. Uh, but that that should be an interesting one. But finally, turning our, our, our focus to uh, the main event, I think we'll call it, on Saturday, Sounders and Timbers. Uh, the Timbers, uh, as you alluded to, started a little slow, but they're uh, unbeaten in four. They are kind of charging back up the table if they were to win this game, which... Like I said, given history would not be out of the question, they, they would potentially be in a playoff spot and jump the Sounders.
1: Yeah, I think they're right behind Saddle. I don't think they can jump them just because of total wins with like the oh, tiebreakers. Okay. I'm pretty sure they can, but they can even them and they can be right back in the thick of it, which is, you could say, you know, an accomplishment for where Portland was going into this international break. Right. Um, they really were not playing well. They, they were, you know, they were dropping games. They weren't winning at home. They weren't winning on the road. They just weren't playing good soccer. Um, and you know, like you said, most recently since the international break, essentially since they came back, um, in June, they they've been a more determined team. Um, slow starts are nothing new for the Timbers. They've kind of made it is another hallmark of, of <laughs> Pacific Northwest of soccer. Yeah, that's true too. I forgot that the Seattle's kind of kind of made that Yeah, point. no, the, the, the well Sounders ahead. have traditionally started
0: very slow, so Yeah.
1: So I, I think, you know, you see them now playing with more urgency. I don't know if it's just because they realize they don't have enough games to like, you know, mess around with anymore or if the pressure of it um, or if they, you know, have finally started to figure out some stuff on fields like tactically and personnel-wise, but they have been playing better soccer over the past, you know, month or so. Um like you said, I'm beaten 4, two wins at home, two road draws. Um, and they've all been, you know, impressive in their own ways. You could argue that maybe that draw in LA should have been a win, but it's hard to argue with it being a good result in the context of the two wins at home, which were both fairly comprehensive that have followed. And, you know, I argue, I could argue that the, their draw last week against Nashville, where they came back from two goals down was probably their most impressive result of the season. Um, it's, you know, it's a testament to the urgency and kind of you know, how this team has a little more confidence that they were able to come back in a, you know, hostile environment like that stadium in Nashville is to come back and get a draw like that. So they're coming to this game with a little bit of momentum and a little bit of form, which I think is objectively a good thing for for the rivalry for a game like this. Like you want it to mean something. You want it to kind of have some significance for both teams. Because I know Seattle is also trying to make the most of those games in hand um that they have from from the CCL and trying to continue their rise up the 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 standings as well so both teams they're going to want to win this one i think yeah. going into saturday as, yeah I mean, no not, it's a, not that they needed more no right not more, that they needed more but it's a big yeah. game
0: irrespective in, in uh, regardless of the the rivalry this is a big game for both teams uh and you got, I mean, it, that's always, that's how you want it, right? You want it to mean something on, on multiple levels. Yeah. Uh, there, there have been some questions in, in the Timbers lineup lately. Uh, it seems like Gio Severese has not really settled on a, on a striker. Uh, he hasn't really settled on a center back pairing. What's going on with those positions?
1: Yeah, start with a striker first, then work my way back. Like, I think, you know, he was been, he's been a little limited with his striker selections. Um, Felipe Mora, Portland's leading scorer last year. Scored that miraculous last gasp equalizer in a Moncton Cup. Um, he had off-season surgery and he was out for the first chunk of the season. Out a little bit longer than I think they anticipated. He just made his return to the field um, two or, th- or uh, two or three games ago. Um, so he's just working his way back into fitness. Portland uh, had just signed a homegrown striker, Teggy Koba, who had his own. Uh, medical issues that I had to work through. And he's definitely more of a future project. So that really only left them with Yaroslav Nisgoda as kind of like a top level contributor. So he's been kind of getting his, you know, since he joined the Timbers in 2020, his longest kind of stretch of games up top. Um, and it, it's been it's been so-so for him up until June. He wasn't really effective at kind of leading the line. He has always been kind of the type of striker that kind of, relies upon getting chances in the box, kind of more of a poacher style. Um, He's not the best at making runs off of the shoulder of defenders, making space for himself. He needs other players around him to kind of combine and create space for him. And that was a struggle for him uh, for the first kind of half of the season, essentially. Recently, he started to figure some things out. He has uh, three goals in his past three games Um, He scored uh, a brace against Colorado and then got the equalizer against Nashville. Also earned the penalty that kind of helped that started the Timbers comeback. So he started to get some confidence. Um, Mora has been getting more and more minutes. I expect that he probably won't start on Saturday, but will probably get some time um, off the bench. He's significant. Um, Timbers also signed uh, Nathan Focaccia, who was originally signed to Timbers two played a game with them and then got signed with the first team um, kind of as more of a stopgap kind of depth piece. Um, so Savarese is starting to get more options. I think it's still knees go to until Mora looks that he's ready to start, which doesn't look like it's going to happen in the next couple of weeks, but will probably happen later on in the summer into the, uh, into the fall.
0: And then center back uh, there's been, I guess, four players that have sort of been rotating in uh, bill Tulu Tule- Loma, who Sounders fans probably most remember or have most noticed as some kind of free-kick savant. It, it,
1: I don't know where that come from. Like, Apparently, he's always had that. He said that he hits those in training all the time, and then he busted it out. Yeah, it was in the 2021, I think the first game down in Portland um, last year, and he he did that. I think cut that to 2-1, I think it yeah. was at the time. I think that's and right. I did not know where that came from. Came out of nowhere, but he <laughs> right. did it in preseason. And then he's done it, I think, twice during the regular season, once or twice. So, yeah, Timbers get a free kick anywhere within 30 yards of the goal. Probably <laughs> step up to take it. Um, And he should step up to take it because I think he is probably one of Portland's most consistent defenders as well. He he can do his right. He can defend as well, as well as hit a mean free kick. Um, he's He's really had a strong season for Portland. He wound up starting the year due to... Again, more off-season surgeries for their normal starting center-back pairing of Darius Zuparic and Larissa Maviala. Um, so he kind of started next to uh, younger player Zach McGraw. They drafted a couple years ago. He's kind of getting a good stretch and run of games. And Twiloma has looked the part. He's been strong. He's been composed. He's chipped in a goal or two when needed. Um, I believe before last week, he was actually one of Portland's leading goal scorers, which I think says a lot about where <laughs> Portland was at before the international break. Um, But he's been one of their strongest defenders. Um, And while say hasn't committed yet, like you said, to like a a set starting center back pairing, all four center backs um, on the roster are, are healthy. I think right now he's had to rotate out of necessity, out of injuries or suspensions or anything. So with all of them healthy and available, um, my hope is that eventually he settles on a starting pairing. I think Tuiloma's got to be part of it. He's kind of earned that opportunity, and I think he's shown that he's one of the more consistent of the pairings. Um, but Sabarese likes his guys. He likes Zuparch and Maviala. They have an established partnership from the past couple of seasons. So we could see any number of those four or, um, yeah, any number of those three or four uh, on Saturday.
0: Yeah, it's uh well that, that that doesn't really narrow it down for us, I suppose. But uh, it's always it it, it does seem to be like there's this weirdly there there's always a bunch of like oddly uh, effective but like
1: mercurial uh yeah. centerbacks on the on That's the roster. Entirely fair. Yeah, I think there's always kind of like they have their ups and their downs. I think the, the upshot is that and Saberize has said this that you know they have four players who can start at center back. Like none of them are kind of like a you grit your teeth and you wonder how it's going to turn out, you know, even McGraw who's, who's young and still a little bit raw, has some developing to do. He's looked the part as well. Like he's looked composed. He's very strong in the air. Um, so, you know, it, he has four starting center backs. That's what he's maintaining to, to start with. I think I, ideally he'll want to find some more consistency, especially as we enter this stretch run. Um, I think he probably will go with Tui Loma, I think. Um, and maybe Ziparic. Zuparic got a rest um, on Sunday against Nashville. Tulema was suspended, so both players have a little bit fresher legs. Um, Larry Mabiala has started to show his age a little bit as far as not being as quick on scrambling on defense. He's made a couple of errors that have led to scoring opportunities or even goals for other teams this year. Um, so I personally would love to see Zuparch and Tulema start next to each other, I think that might be what he'll go with on, on, uh, on Saturday, just because he knows that those guys they've played together um, over the course of the season. And I think eventually it'll help them, you know, find some consistency if he can start to get some more regular reps for an established pair.
0: Yeah. Uh, So elsewhere on the field, uh, it seems that Sebastian, Sebastian Blanco has Blanco has been kind of getting back into form. You know, he, he, it's been up and down for him since his injury. Uh, What's going on with, with Blanco these days?
1: Yeah, he he came into the season um, not quite in full game shape, still recovering from an injury. Eventually, worked his way back. Had you know had a little bit of minor setbacks here and there. Um, he hasn't been his like supernova near MVP candidate form that he was in 2020 and 2021. He's still been a game changer for Portland. Like he still tilts the field in his direction wherever he is out there on the field. Um, he has definitely been a lot more facilitative as far as providing opportunities he's kind of been the main chance creator with you know Diego Valeri now departed Portland he's kind of taken that mantle um, on his own um and he can still have you know a fantastic game every now and then if he wants to um I think you know he's been performing well and you watch him on the field and you still think that he's got a little bit more in the tank like he's still you know still building back, building back up his powers, so to speak. I think uh, he still has a little bit of ways to go to kind of hit that like peak of apex where he was, you know, in the playoffs last year and going into it. Um, and, you know, he loves playing against Seattle as we saw lately last, last season, when the last time that the Timbers were in, were in, uh, were in Seattle, he loves playing against the Sounders. So I, I, I would not be surprised if he has a little bit extra in everything that he does, come Saturday. Um, and he can still change a game on his own, you know, if he's on his day,
0: uh, the other player of note, uh, at least that I'm keeping an eye on Eric Williamson, uh, at one point looked like he might be getting into the U S national team picture. Uh, but an injury is sort of, or a couple injuries, I suppose, have have set him back. Uh, how, how is his recovery going is how close is he back to fully fit?
1: Yeah. Saturday will be a significant game for, for, for Williamson. It's his first game back in Seattle since he suffered that injury, um, I think it was last August. Um, so he's, you know, obviously that put him out for the rest of last season and he worked his way back over the off season, you know, slow recovery team didn't want to rush him. They have a lot of options in central midfield, so they didn't want to force him when he was too ready. Um, he finally got back in the field in the spring, suffered a minor injury setback right before the international break. And has been getting a stretch of uh, a run of games here over the past few uh, weeks and has shown his quality. Um, he, Got an MLS team of the week nod, I think, and only played a half um, against Nashville. Only played forty-five minutes. He got <laughs> an assist. I mean, that. I mean, it was in a testament to how much he just brings to the midfield. Like Portland's midfielders, he really is the best one on the roster for being dynamic and using the ball to break lines, either with dribbling or with his passing. His assist for Escoda for the equalizer was, you know, one of the best balls any Timber has played all season. Um, And, you know, and that's consistent with how he's shown so far. He was instrumental against Colorado as well. And Portland's went over Colorado a couple of weeks ago. So he really is one of the most dynamic players the Timbers have in the midfield. Um, He has been starting in the stead of uh, Christian Paredes, who has been recovering from a hamstring injury. He suffered a few weeks ago. Um, And while it looks like Paredes might be fit come Saturday, I would be surprised if he starts ahead of Eric Williamson, he and, Uh, Diego Chara have formed a good relationship in the middle of the field Um, and I think it gives Portland the best balance in the midfield it allows Blanco to play higher up the field which is what he likes to do is almost a second striker Um, you know go go find the game go find the ball on his own and I think Williamson adds that extra kind of depth of dynamic kind of in the middle of the field so he's going to be a player that you know if he's on then Portland is in the game If, if he's not if he's not if he's off his game or he's kind of you know, getting lost in the game, it'll be a little bit more of a struggle for the Tippers to create moving forward.
0: So the other player that I think is worth uh, highlighting here uh, is someone that I don't know that Sounders fans are too familiar with. I'm not sure if he's actually played against the Sounders yet, uh, but Santiago Moreno uh, is a, is a U22 signing, right? Yes.
1: It was Portland's first U22 signing, I believe.
0: And, and he seems to be off to like a really
1: like under the radar, but very effective start. I think that's exactly the best way to describe him. Like it's been under the radar, but also like like extremely like impressive in some of the play in some of the moments that he's had. Um, I can't remember if he was brought in in time for the game in Portland or the game in Seattle last season. Um, But he has been a starter this year. Like he's been consistently starting for, for the Timbers and, you know, he's another player, he's young. So he definitely can be a little bit streaky, but when he's on, when he's performing really well, he's been one of Portland's three, four best players kind of on the field. He kind of announced himself during the playoffs last year. um, And he has that ability to either play on the wing, but also cut inside and create on his own. He, he loves a good dribble. He loves trying to take players on in and around the box, even when maybe sometimes it's ill-advised, but he's shown that he has the quality to create on his own. He's shown that he has the quality to be able to, interchange with the rest of that Portland front line, which likes to switch up positions and, you know, likes to kind of play dynamically and move off of one another. Um, So he's kind of like a good third or fourth option on the, uh, on the offense for, for the Timbers moving forward. And when he wants to, when, again, when he's on his game, he can be one of those difference makers for the Timbers. Um, We saw that a couple of weeks ago when he got a brace against uh, the Houston Dynamo and was just, just a menace everywhere around the field. So, he's a dangerous one to to watch out for as well.
0: Yeah, it looks like he actually made his debut, his MLS debut against the Sounders. He played 17 minutes in that 2-0 win that kicked start that was sort of the start of uh, right. a very uh, impressive run that that the Timbers went on to end the season. Uh, but yeah, that it's as always this is is a interesting matchup. I I don't I, I mean I would think that uh, as confident as as anyone can be, I mean both sides have Plenty of reasons to feel like this is a, a, a good matchup for them. It seems um, right. I
1: mean, even just off of the you know the historical record, like right. a home win would be almost surprising. Right. Point. So, <laughs> watching that case, and at the same time too, like it, it has significance. Like I've said for both teams, like Portland will want to win this game to prove that you know this isn't just a blip. Like we are kind of on a consistent run here, kind of coming up the table and getting right back into that playoff conversation. The thing about Portland's run to remember is, you know, they've played at least one more game than a lot of the other teams around them. A lot of the other teams right above or below them in the standings have a game in hand. I think Seattle has two, two yeah, and Yeah. Two in hand against, yeah, against Portland. So they're as impressive as this run has been, the pressure is still just as high. They don't have a ton of runway to drop a lot of bad results. Um You know, they've been good about getting draws against Western Conference teams as of late, especially on the road. Um, And, you know, a bad loss here. Hopefully that, you know, who knows what that can mean for their confidence moving forward. Who knows if that could be something that potentially, you know, torpedoes their confidence maybe a little bit. You know, it's a game that they're going to want to make the most of because they do have this form. They do have this confidence. I mean, they're playing in a building that they know they can win in. I think that's important to remember that they're going to want to be able to do it as almost like a validation to be, you know, this is legit. We're doing the thing again (laughs) where we charge at the table in the second half of the year. And of course, Seattle too wants to prevent them from doing that and maintain their place in the standings and prove that, you know, yes, you won CCL and we're still going to be one of the top teams in MLS in the West.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Well, thanks for doing this, Sam. Uh, you do great work over at Stumptown Footy. Hopefully, uh, our followers are uh, are paying attention to to that work over there. But I, I appreciate yeah. the work you're doing over there. Uh, good work. And are, are you going to make it up for
1: the game? Are you yeah. in Seattle, aren't you? Oh yeah, a, we the, the dark now? secret.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been in Seattle since 2012, since I came up here for college, and just have stuck around. And yeah, I've been a Timber's fan ever since. I had yeah, of uh, course. Many, How can you many, not be? Many a uh, uh, rough conversation with a roommate back in the day um 2015 was great 2016 not so much so i've kind of <laughs> experienced the the full spectrum yeah. of all of it shouts shouts to the uh timbers army covert ops the tacos who are yeah that's right that's right. where you are um Thanks. so yeah I, I will be up here i think so i think we my cross paths probably I'll, I'll have to get i know you've been doing uh, recommendations or reviews of, of the food options. Yes. In the press box. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. You'll, <laughs> you'll have, have to, be... you'll
0: have to give some, we'll have to get maybe a guest, a uh, guest spot oh, on boy. that, on that okay. Twitter thread. <laughs>
1: I'll let you know. Yeah. I think I'll see you up there. All right. Well, good talking to you,
0: Sam. And, uh, I'm Jeremiah Shan signing off for Sounder at Heart. We will catch you next time.